electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Sharon Epperson, CNBC's Senior Personal Finance Correspondent. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, a conversation with Melody Hobson, co-CEO and president of Ariel Investments, and chair of the board at Starbucks. She joined me at CNBC's Inclusion in Action Forum on March 18, 2021, to discuss Ariel's latest venture, investing in minority business enterprises, and how companies of all sizes can implement more inclusionary practices. Here's our conversation. You know, in corporate America, the focus on diversity and inclusion is often on growth and equity in hiring practices and increasingly in board development. Is that strategy enough to really create an inclusive economy? What more needs to be done? It's a great start, but it's not enough. And what we would say is that more needs to be done as it relates to also just the business of the company and specifically what we call business diversity. Some people call that supplier diversity. At our Black Corporate Directors Conference, which brings together the Fortune 500 Black and Latinx directors, we talk about the three Ps, people, purchasing, and philanthropy. The people issue, of course, is the board, the senior leadership, and the people throughout the organization. The purchasing is where we think uh, companies haven't spent as much time thinking about the business diversity out across all areas of spend, particularly the highest areas of spend, professional services, financial services, and technology, putting some attention there to see how inclusive are our practices in terms of the vendors that we use, We think that is another area where you can start to move the needle on equality in corporate America. And how do you ensure that this is a stable, sustainable way to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion? For all three Ps, we think you have to measure. It's very, very important to, as I like to say, math has no opinion, have the math. And the only way you can do that is commit to having an annual review of these issues to see where you're gaining ground, where you're losing ground. The other thing that we talk about when you do measure, let's just say you're looking at people, you measure by ethnicity, no multicultural umbrella where you put everyone together, all of the ethnic minorities and women and say, this is our diverse cohort because it masks underrepresentation. So measuring and then having the wherewithal to even um, publish those those numbers, I think holds everyone accountable. And then last but not least, you get what you incent. You incent the behavior that you want, particularly at the senior leadership level. And to do so, I say you hold the individuals accountable and you pay for that performance. When you were talking about the P, people, you were focusing on the workers, the leaders, um, the consumers. I'm wondering about how important it is for businesses to include the people that are not directly in their businesses right now. When we talk about recent employment data, we are looking at job recovery overall, but not for Blacks and Latinos. Unemployment rates are still significantly higher than for whites. How do we include 
the people who have lost jobs or have dropped out of the workforce altogether when we're talking about creating an inclusive economy? From our perspective, we think about the recovery. How are these businesses going to recover? And one way that they will recover, they will likely add people, especially if the economy is as strong as we think it might be. Some people are calling this the roaring 20s that will come out of this much stronger than anticipated. And in many ways, the stock market is forecasting that. You are exactly right about the unemployment issue. African-Americans were harder hit in this period than white Americans. The unemployment rate for black Americans right now is just shy of 10% through February versus white Americans around 5.6%. So in thinking about the recovery and thinking about the hiring that companies will do, having a focus on inclusionary hiring practice, I think practices, I believe will make a huge, huge difference. When we're talking about making sure that we're having inclusionary practices, how important is it for corporate America to support and promote the inclusive economy idea to, for smaller businesses as well? How do we make sure that businesses um, that right now, many of whom are struggling, become part of this inclusive economy and are supported and promoted? That's why I go back to purchasing. If you are, inclu- if you are using a diverse list of vendors, and that includes small businesses, that includes minority business enterprises, that creates an opportunity for everyone to, again, participate in the growth and success of the overall enterprise. So we're just trying to think about all these wonderful American businesses are out there. The more inclusive they are, the better it is for them. Uh, More diverse communities and more financially successful communities are good for business. That's just a fact. And so thinking about it at every level, and specifically around the purchasing, I think can really bring the small businesses in. Your company, Ariel Investments, has just launched its first private investment firm, Ariel Alternatives. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and that firm? What your initial initiatives are going to be? So we are specifically trying to scale sustainable minority business enterprises and do it in a way that has never been done before by bringing two essential components together, capital and customers. We find that there's a lot of conversation when it comes to minority business enterprises about access to capital. And we think that's important. We think access to customers is just as important and sometimes even more so. My my co-CEO, John Rogers, who founded Ariel, always talks about the fact that if you have customers, you can get capital. And I think that that sometimes has been lost in translation. So we're trying to scale these minority business enterprises by matching capital and customers and ultimately having these businesses become tier one suppliers, back to that second P, purchasing, tier one suppliers for Fortune 500 companies. And we're targeting businesses and middle market businesses with revenues between $100 million and a $1 billion as potential acquisition targets for us. Now, the real issue that is out there, minority business enterprises overall, 95% of them have less than $5 million in revenue. And so all of these corporations that want to do business with MBEs, they have, a, have trouble doing so because they can't get the scale that they need. So that's where we're trying to go and say, if we had businesses of scale, how could that change the outcome? How could that ultimately create more jobs? Because we think over a decade, we could create 100,000 Black and Latinx jobs. 
as our businesses grow, can we relocate them in underserved communities and help stimulate those economies? Making sure we have C-suite executives in those organizations that are people of color, a diverse board, exceptionally diverse workforce, creating a scenario where everyone is an owner of the business so that you're narrowing the wealth gap from the rank and file all the way up to the top of the organization. So just rethinking the whole idea of diversity inclusion with bigger companies. One, one of the initiatives, Project Black, one of your first initiatives, is that focusing only on Black and Latinx uh, entrepreneurs and companies, or are you broadening that out? How, how is that working? So Project Black is exactly what I was just talking about. That is the initiative. And we are saying the business that we purchase doesn't have to necessarily be Black or Latinx at the time of purchase. But by de, de facto of our ownership, the leadership will we, we will install, the board, the attention to diverse workforce and the accountability that we will have there, de facto, the business will be, my word, minoritized um, through our ownership and ultimately, again, have people have to change their mental model of a minority business because these would be businesses of scale. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Now, we've gotten a lot of questions, Melody, from the audience. The first one is from Bridget Daniel, who is the CEO of Wilco. And she asks, are there plans to expand the Project Black Minority Business Investment Program to smaller businesses with revenue of $1 million to $50 million? And if not, why not? She says these are where the bulk of scalable minority businesses reside, as you just mentioned. That will not be a part of our initial remit. And the reason that we're not doing that, because we think a lot of people are doing that right now. There's an there's a tension there. We're going to wear the white spaces in this in this opportunity. And we're rethinking private equity in that regard. Now, we may buy a platform and then have add-ons that are smaller businesses that are existing minority or, or um, minority-owned businesses. So it doesn't preclude us to do doing so. But our initial remit will be around these scalable, sustainable businesses. And again, the opportunity to, to add on to them and have do bolt-on acquisitions from there. Excellent. Another question we have for those launching a new business comes from David Mirzlov Grund, who's the founder of a company called Reflections. And he's asking you, how do I make inclusion and equal opportunity a clear competitive advantage in my communication, in my pitch, in order to attract the best matching investors for my company? I am so glad I got that question because I think people don't really understand how, how diversity can be a competitive advantage. We've seen that firsthand at Ariel. And I tell people this all the time, that by virtue of the diverse nature of our firm, which we actually believe is probably the most diverse investment management firm out there, when you look at our board and our senior leadership and our ownership of our company, that means that those young people that are graduating from business school or college, when they see us 
they see an opportunity to, to be leaders of the organization. And I think that we get more than our fair share of really great resumes because they see the opportunity that is created at a firm like ours. So our diversity becomes a competitive advantage in terms of our talent acquisition. And we make that known to our potential customers because we really do believe a diverse group of people that come together ultimately have a higher probability of doing better work, producing better results, solving really hard problems. And do you think that makes it more attractive? A company that's just launching makes it's more attractive to angel investors, to initial investors, if you're also talking about your competitive advantage as well as whatever your purpose and mission for the company is? Or is that part of the okay. mission? Does that need to be part of the mission? For us, it is part of a mission, a part of the mission, but we are not um, afraid to also spell it out to those who are talking to us so they can see why our offering becomes so compelling as a firm. You want to, you want to highlight all of the opportunities you have to distinguish yourself from your competition. And diversity for us is one of those things. Well, the other question we have from an attendee, CC president, she wants to know in your industry, in investment management, if there was one policy or other type of systemic change that you could implement that you believe would have the most impact on diversity being the fabric of corporate culture in America, what would that one change be? Wow. One change. Just <laughs> one thing. It's, I mean, that's, woo. Uh, silver bullet is probably incentives. I think that if corporate America really said, you're not going to get your full bonus if you don't have a diverse team working for you, I think we'd see some changes really, really fast. That's why I'm excited that we're starting to see um, compensation tied to these outcomes that companies themselves have said these are strategic imperatives. That's what you read when you read annual reports. They talk about diversity being a strategic imperative. Well, I say if it is a strategic imperative, that there should be incentives tied to it. I want to get to some other questions now about, you know, where we are in terms of the C-suite, in terms of people in, of color in the C-suite. You've been co-CEO of Ariel Investments since 2010, and you know firsthand how lonely it can be to be a black CEO or a black co-CEO, even in a firm like yours. We have recently, after four years of having no black women CEOs in the Fortune 500, we now have two coming on this year, Ross Brewer at Walgreens and also Tasunda Duckett at TIAA. And I'm wondering what you think their position now as the top leaders of their company means overall for corporate America. Well, it's a good first step. I'm really excited for both of them. Both are exemplary. I mean, I literally posted that if excellence were people, it would be Tassanda and Raz. I've worked with both of them directly as a board member of JP Morgan and as a board member of Starbucks. I know them really, really well, and they are best in class. Now, I'm glad to see corporate America recognize that talent because I've said many, many times before, talent and genius do not discriminate. And yet, for whatever reason, when you look at the highest ranks of corporate America, one would think the only talent really lies in white men just based upon their overrepresentation versus their representation in the overall society. So I am delighted, but two is not enough. Two out of 500 is not enough. And if you look at Blacks in general, I think the number is five or six out of 500. This is just not, this is, you know, as I've said before, math has no opinion. The math tells us everything. We have a long, long, long way to go. 
Yeah, we certainly do. And we're seeing some changes, small changes in the C-suite on boards as well. And again, this is something that you know very well. You have been on the board in the past of Estee Lauder. You have been on the, the chair of the board of DreamWorks Animation. You're currently a director, as you mentioned, of J.P. Morgan. And you are chair of the board as of this month for Starbucks. So in this role, at this company in particular, what do you see as your biggest challenge in advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion? As it relates to Starbucks or as it relates to As it relates to what? Starbucks and your board, and your board so Starbucks, overall. My challenge is not the what you would expect it to be because I'm work, working with willing participants. I'm working with people who have the same goal, the same vision, the same desires. Jamie Dimon and Kevin Johnson are committed to these issues by virtue of me being in the room, by virtue of me having leadership at Starbucks, you can see that. And so I'm very pleased to have these partners that are focused on these outcomes. JP Morgan has made a giant commitment to the black community with this $30 billion commitment that was announced last year and with so many other things that they've been doing. And so what I am really happy about is the commitments have been made. And there's also been a commitment to measure progress and stay accountable. That is huge. And at Starbucks, same thing, both organizations tying compensation to outcomes around diversity, really focusing and drilling down on the hard stuff, not just headlines and surface um, statements. That creates a real opportunity as opposed to a challenge for me. So you're at a place where there's already a commitment. I know many people are watching saying, I'm in a company where I don't feel there is that commitment. How can internally employees, leaders, managers, try to influence to make sure that there is a commitment at the board level to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I would think about what, you know, that, as that famous saying goes, what trees do you plant? What are you doing in your seat? You know, everyone looks for diversity uh, uh, changes and progress to come from on high. And I always try to explain to people, it takes all of us. This is a team sport. I always give the example that Rosa Parks she just decided not to stand up. You know, everyone tells me you have to have a lot of power and influence to affect these outcomes. No, you can hold people accountable in the cube next to you, in the office next to you, asking questions, being unafraid to offer a point of view. You don't have to be militant. You don't have to be angry. But at the same time, you can make your voice count and have your voice be known. That was Melody Hobson, co-CEO and president of Ariel Investments. We spoke at CNBC's Inclusion in Action Forum on March 18, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. For more information on upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, please visit cnbcevents.com. I'm Sharon Epperson. Thanks for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.